welcome to Going Off Track. It's Stephen with Jonah and Brad. Mike got another job. <laughs> the fucker. He's always working. Somebody's got to support us. I mean, why does he want to feed his child so much that he works <laughs> consistently? It's ridiculous. So hopefully we'll have Mike back very soon. Uh, today on the program, we have Artie Shepard. Almost, we, have, we almost have the hat trick of the owners of St. Vitus here in Brooklyn. I know, George, we're coming for you. <laughs> We've had on Justin Skirty. And uh, Justin's in a bunch of bands, much like Artie. Artie was in, was in Instruction. He was in Instruction, Aerotype 11. Yeah, Gay for Johnny Depp. Gay for Johnny Depp, uh, Mind Over Matter, I and, believe. And he's just a fun, awesome dude who... And I feel like we're missing... Oh, Primitive Weapons? Yeah. Oh, right on. Is who he plays with now? Oh, with, with Justin's. We're going to have all of Primitive... We have, we've had almost all of Primitive Weapons in already. Yeah, we really have. They've actually hung out here at the wonderful Rubber Track Studios, who allows us to come in here and make this podcast sound as awesome as it does, which is due to that man sitting across from me who you can't see, Brad. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah they recorded here, Primitive Weapons. It was pretty uh, awesome. They are. Yeah, they're a really good band. You guys should all check them out. Um, Brad specifically started telling a story before we started recording, and we're like, Ugh. wait, hold on to it. What happened? I don't know. It's so... I'm so... It's unsettling. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of those... Do the right thing stories. That mm. Do the right going. thing and get signed. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I rented a zip van because I had to go pick up a bunch of beer for a party here. It's important. Total, after two decades of driving cargo vans with trailers for literally hundreds of thousands of miles, I finally backed one into another car. So in the parking lot, I backed into not like a piece of crap, not another zip car, but somebody's BMW sedan. Of course. Into the door. I get out. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I'm like, I didn't have a pen and paper or anything with me. I only had the zip car for like two hours. I was running late. I'm like, fuck it. You know, it's the middle of the day. This person's probably at work. I'll leave him a note when I get back, right? So I take off. I get down the highway and I'm starting to think, dude, like if that person comes out and sees that car, what if they were looking out the window? What if they live nearby? I'm like, they're going to be so pissed that I bailed. So I called here, got an intern to go over there and leave a note. I said, take some pictures, leave a note, get my number. I mean, I don't want to be that guy. You know, like I figured there's got to be some insurance on the zip van side or something, even if there's a deductible. Like, so anyway. I'm nervous for you. <laughs> this part works out, right? Like the guy, the guy actually came out while she was there. He was really, he was so psyched that like I was doing the right thing. And he's like, I talked to him on the phone. He's like, dude, that's so cool. You know, you could have just totally bailed and like, but you know, so he's fine. So I make the report to, he's anxious to get this report into Zipcar so that he can get his insurance. So I, I make the report to Zipcar. I send him photos of the car door. I even sent him photos of the van, of the bumper, even though, there was nothing, not even like paint on the bumper of the van, you know, because it's a big ass cargo van. This is like, I just literally like dented in the door a little bit on this car. So I haven't checked my, this is one of my junk emails. It goes to that Zipcar has. So I checked it and like, there's an email like from four days ago with a bill. So there's a $750 deductible on zip cars. What? Like if you screw up a zip car, you're responsible for $750 of the deductible. So they have a bill that's itemized. It comes out to $749.10. And I'm like, that's 
curious that it would be so close and actually a little bit under the deductible, but whatever. I'm reading it. It doesn't say anything about a BMW, and it references this cargo van over and over again. So I open the photos, and there's the van with the whole side like dented in, like all this damage to the door. And like, dude, like nothing to do with me. Like I actually sent them photos of the van, of the car. This is like a whole nother issue. It was the same name as the van. Like it was the same van. I'm almost 100% that this damage that they had sent me photos of wasn't even on the van when I rented it. So whatever happens with the BMW, they're already on me for this like, other deal that had that i like i don't know whether it happened before and i just didn't notice because i didn't get you, they were just get, so psyched that they had a van that somebody was nice dude, like oh finally we'll get this van fixed it's exactly my thoughts like this they're ro- like oh we've been meaning to get room, this fixed this pathetic samaritan we got him dude nothing's so, for free i don't know i have to call him who knows maybe i'll call him the big oh we're so sorry that was a different claim whatever but as of now i'm so ripped Dude, Ugh. you just have to call and be like, I'll never use Zipcar again. Like, I use it all the time. Oh, I left like, the guy. I called him last night at 11 o'clock, and I said, listen, like, <laughs> I don't know what these photos are for, but, like, I guarantee you if any of this appears on my credit card bill, I will declare it fraudulent and report you to the Better Business Bureau because, like, this is insane. Like, I was so anal and explicit in my traffic report. That, in like, Obama's America. <laughs> Uh, I got into a customer service altercation this week that saw the owner of a company writing an email he thought he was writing to another employee that he sent to me where he called me an asshole and a tool. (laughs) Tool? That's what I get called. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Maybe this guy has reviewed our podcast on iTunes. It's uh, It was one of the sweetest moments ever where i was like (laughs) oh man so you complained and then the owner actually emailed you i complained i was complaining to this girl who was very sweet who worked there about this product that didn't work and uh she uh i copied her boss on it um and because i found out who her boss was through a friend and uh this guy i guess thought that he was replying to her but replied directly to me so uh yeah, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, "Man, come on!" So did you did you get to write back and be like, "No, by the way, you hit reply all." Oh, he didn't even hit reply all. He just wrote an email to me, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "He was it was so good." I can't oh, what even tell a moron. you. He was like, uh, "He was like, hey, whatever her name was, you can handle this." I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what I might say. I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing or something. And I just wrote back. I'm like. Hey man, it looks like you've already said the wrong thing because you sent this to me, <laughs> and uh, it all worked out in the end. But uh, <laughs> but and then uh, me and Lucas, had, our recent guest, had a little uh, little war with Time Warner a couple weeks ago that we attacked them on Twitter and from all all Pistons going off track actually uh, t- tweeted a question with to me. I was tweeting at myself from like the podcast account, like, has this been resolved yet? <laughs> Like, no one cares. And I'm like, no, and Lucas is chiming in. It's a sad day for customer service. Oh, Time Warner has you by the balls if you yeah, want to Yeah, fighting Time Warner is a losing battle. I just tried to make it fun. Dude, yeah. my, my, I'm not allowed to talk to Time Warner. We have Time Warner at home. My wife always talks to him. And I just pop up and down in the background going, Fios, Fios, Fios. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, totally. Hi. You know, uh, someone was telling me that uh, that... 
Time and Warner pl- employees use Fios. Like <laughs> at Time Warner, they use Fios or something. I don't know if that's true, but I keep worrying that like Time Warner, I keep shit talking that I'm worried they're gonna like plant stuff. Like these people are in charge of my internet. Oh yeah. yeah. Like what if they're like check out all these sites you went to? I'm like I didn't, and they're like, well, it says Dude, you nowadays did. Nowadays, <laughs> Google and Facebook just handing shit over to the government, like uh, it's it's obnoxious. Yeah, I know. I I mean that seriously. Like some guy, I read about some guy who got his Google handed his email over because he was a a moderator, like on a WikiLeaks message board, and Google just said, "Here you go. Here's his stuff to the government." Yeah, that's pretty weak. So yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to have Jamie Kilstein back on because with all this NSA stuff, because he's been going nuts about it, and I feel like he probably knows more about it than a lot of people, and I know basically nothing. You have to be passionate to be so informed, and I'm just not that informed nor passionate. Yeah. But a passionate informed gentleman is sitting with us today, Artie Shepard. Here, listen. It's going on track! I think this whole show should go Alex Jones. What do you guys think? I, I yeah. <laughs> I would love that's like my dream. Let's do it. <laughs> just Obama <laughs> behind the Yeah, crazy, I, I wish just I had the craziest shit ever. Just like <laughs> I listen to Alex Jones every day just because I really? want to see how fucking crazy people are. And then, yeah. and then half of the shit that they report comes out in mainstream news, and it's real. <laughs> like, what the fuck? It's it, totally fucked the thing up. That he's, he always harps on with uh, with the nine eleven thing about um, who is it? Like Rumsfeld saying there was a sec or like them saying Rumsfeld said like they shot down the plane, yeah, and then went back on it, and then they like they never mentioned it, but that was like the first thing he said. It's crazy, like some of the stuff. Oh, yeah, the Pentagon, the thing where they showed... You ever seen the video of the Pentagon? Like, the the damage, like, there was no pieces of the plane found at the Pentagon. Oh, that's the one... I mean, they, really? I, I try to ignore these conspiracy theories, but, yeah, if you look at that and the video footage, which you can see... Yeah, there's video footage of if it. If you look at... The thing is, is, like, so... Yeah. I'm not. I, I fucking hate conspiracy theories because they're just I so. Love them. I love them. <laughs> well, it's, I love them. But the the nine eleven one, I have trouble with. I well, that's too, the thing is that this too. the Pentagon one. The reason that it bothered me was because there was a website that said, "Look at this. There's no there's no wrecked plane." No, except for Tower Seven, right? Building Seven, which went down at five o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And they reported it being down five minutes. Like the woman, there's a great. I think it's a BBC reporter or ITV or whatever, and and she's like, "Building Seven has fallen and it's still up." It's on uh, YouTube. It's still up behind her. And then like a couple of seconds later, it comes down. But see, even that can be. But the thing about the Pentagon thing that I found most disturbing was that they show you this footage. On You go to the conspiracy website and they show you this footage and they're like, even in this footage, you can clearly see that it's a missile. There's no tail section. There's yeah. no plane. And that's on the foot. But then if you go to all the news sites and find the same footage, it. That's what it looks like. It looks like a missile. Doesn't look like an airplane. Well, so my, that was disturbing. My so. problem with the conspiracy—I l- I like reading about the conspiracy stuff and I like listening to it. But to me, especially the government stuff, I feel like everything's so unorganized. Like some pulling off stuff that big. I oh, feel yeah. like someone would leak something. Someone would right. come out. Like there's no way this stuff can be coordinated dude, so perfectly. The and then idea, you see how everything the else. Whole idea works. Of how many explosive experts would it take to fucking line the twin towers with explosives so that it would fall? I mean, come on, <clears throat> right? Like, yeah. the, and, and, and what do they think, do? Just kill everybody dude, right after it happens? People think it's like ridiculous. the hardcore people think that they planned it when they built the towers. Like they Jeez. built it in so it when it got hit by a plane like forty years later this would and it's like dude you think like a contractor was just gonna be like okay do whatever like, the only thing I'll agree with is that I think they let it happen 
Because like oh, they, 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 they could have shot down the planes. Yeah, and they should have. And they should have. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the idea that these four retards could get in a plane and fly it perfectly into the World Trade Center is is beyond comprehension to but, me. Like, I mean, I, I, do you think it was like a PR thing? Like, if they shot down a plane full of innocent people, then, oh, it would have been a disaster. I mean, imagine what? Because because I mean, that it, would have been your cover up right then. If that had happened, that would have been oh my god, this horrible thing happened, and then that would have been that would have been the conspiracy right then. If the military had decided. Yeah, you know, to to save so many people, we're gonna kill this many. Then that 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 would have been an accurate imp- conspiracy. That yeah, would have I been- think that they did that to the one plane for sure. Yeah, well, no, I think they, they shot Norad, it down. The thing is that they stood that- down. They told Nora to stand down, which is like what. Which one? The one that hit in Pennsylvania? Yeah. Yeah. The witnesses have said like they saw fighter jets next to it. Yeah, and and there was nothing left. Yeah, nothing. I think they I think they shot that one down, but they just didn't couldn't have done the new it might have and that have been a rough rough call to make right yeah i mean i'm sure no one wants to turn somebody into a hero or the crew the people on the plane into a hero to in order to just the best cover up see that one that one i'll take yeah because that you know you're trying to save people i'm glad they shot it down you know who knows how many people could have been killed where they took it into some crazy but the fact that the other planes were in like a fucking on their way to an urban area yeah i mean could you imagine if you shot the plane down and it came down in in a suburban area or like an urban area i mean yeah i mean what a nightmare yeah the government they were put in a position where they couldn't do much but i i just think on an intelligence level they let it happen because if you look if if you watch any of those conspiracy theory movies like some you know half of them are fucking crazy but the whole idea of invading Iraq, that's been in plans for, that had been in plan for so long. And oh, they were looking for an excuse. With, yeah, that had nothing to do with it. That and was, I think they didn't even try with that one. Like, it's yeah. so obvious. Yeah, like, it, they wanted a Pearl Harbor and they just created it. And, like, it wasn't, it didn't even make sense to anybody, you know? Well, know. it's, you know, it's all, it's that old, old FDR statement that for World War Two was, you know, we're helping out a lot of people. You know, you, you can ruin Europe for a while, for a few years. Then we'll step in. Yeah. But we'll do that. But war is a great thing for the economy. Um, not this, anymore. Not anymore because <laughs> it, you know, didn't quite get the money's worth on everything that went into Iraq. Well, um, also because of empire. If, once you have an empire, you have to keep it up. And it's like, that's when war becomes costly as opposed to when you're taking over lands and suddenly like, you know, it's like it's good for a little while. Then you got to maintain it. And that's when shit goes down. You know, I mean, it's you're building bases all over the world, like all of that shit. And Iraq was all about like, I mean, Halliburton's the ones who made the most money yep, out of that. Totally. Flat you out. Know, billions. So I know the conspiracy theorist Artie Shepard here is with us today. <laughs> um. <laughs> I just like to weed out the crazy people. <clears throat> Doomsday Preppers, dude. Or establish yourself. Yeah, Doomsday, preppers. Doomsday Preppers. <laughs> I kind of want to watch that show because I feel that I, I just need there's some things I should probably have. Dana Gould had this great line on, on, on his podcast about how, you know, he has all this backup food and things because he lives in California if there's an earthquake hit. Because he said, as a parent, you don't ever want to say the phrase, and if we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want to have everything. So, like, at my house now, we've got some bottled war- water and a box of ramen noodles. Like, just in case shit goes down. Yeah. Is ramen noodles considered storable food? Uh, I don't think it, another, could it go like, 25 years. I think it can. I, I think... Th- I think it's like a Twinkie. Yeah, you were I just think- <laughs> I just listened to the Tim Kreider episode of our podcast and we talk about this a little bit. We talk about that Michael Rupert documentary uh collapse. Yeah, yeah. Which that to me is like that's kind of what turned me on to a lot of stuff. I mean, Joe Rogan and that stuff, but I watched that and I was like, "Whoa, this seems really Well, real. yeah. I mean, the, the idea see like during the hurricane, that whole thing with the gas 
and like all that shit, like that scared the crap out of me. Like just the whole gas situation. I was like, this is weird. The fact, especially because it, it could happen people, here, what, right? People, and nothing should meaning, ever happen here. We live in a bubble. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Meaning, meaning gas that is in fuel or gas is in like uh, gas fuel. Fuel. Gas fuel. Yeah. Okay, got it. Because I mean, the food thing, there was no. But the thing is, is that once the gas is gone, you can't get food to the stores. You can't. I mean, it's just like we're so dependent on it, and it became really blatantly clear at that point you know like with, that that was the case i managed to, to ration a tank of gas for three weeks during that time which was i was quite proud of myself nice. all right so we met when when you were in instruction yeah and it was a very funny time because it was during the republican national convention in and yeah and the fuse offices were right by madison square garden on and, four i think ish no six six uh, oh six, six. yeah and uh, across the street was Republican National Convention. No, it couldn't have been 06 because the election was 04. I have no idea what the numbers. Yeah, so yeah. it must have been 04. <laughs> okay. So you walked in and you had a George Bush doll. Yeah, I was going to hang him for war crimes on, on the air. And as soon as I saw the doll, I immediately ran upstairs to my desk because I had the exact same doll. Because your mom sent it to you. She sent it to me as a joke because my parents are very far to the right. And I had it on my desk being sodomized by a Sid Vicious doll. <laughs> I was like, I have to bring this down. So I think we did like a dueling George Bush thing. We did. And I tried, and then I tried to pull the pants down and do some banging. And yeah. uh, I think you guys cut to commercial really quick. <laughs> it was, uh, it was funny because yeah, it was live, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly. And, and, um, the producers all came in to the dress, <laughs> the green room before me. And they were like, well, what do you plan on doing with that? And I was like, and and I had already been through hell with the police outside. So when I was trying to get, because they had the, uh, I guess it was Thirty Second Street blocked off, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get up to the to the to the offices, and they were like, "What do you?" They looked through my bag, they're like, "What are you going to do with that?" And I was like, "I'm going to hang him for war crimes on TV." And he's like, he's like, uh, you realize that I could arrest you for even saying that. And I was just like, really? You can? Wow. (laughs) And for some reason, like, he just like backed down and, and let me go. I mean, because it was a lie. (laughs) That's not a true story. Not anymore. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Now they can do whatever they want. It's true. Drones. As long as it's a robot doing it, they can do it. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. That the next, yeah, next, next book. I remember we were, when we were sitting in the, in the studio though, there was guys with, uh, guns mm-hmm. on top of the like Penn Station awning and like like you could see them like it was weird like there was well, whenever the president is involved in anything the snipers come in it's like and in it sounds awful but it, you know if you go to DC I had a buddy who worked for the DC Police Department for years and he knew where all the vans were right the CIA um, vans they got yeah. them yeah and they're pointing and, in every direction and he knew where all the um you know he know he knows where all the you know all the rooftops are like that's why whenever the president comes in New York City. Every cab driver's like, "Oh God," because you know, everything is, every street is blocked off. You know, every corner of every building is hit with someone. There's someone stationed. It's. I remember being a friend. My friend lived in Red Square on Houston, and Bill Clinton was eating at Katz's Deli. I walked by that day. It was, yeah, and it was crazy because there was like literally 200 <clears throat> cops on motorcycles, and they closed down Houston. Which is insane yeah. in the middle of the day. Um, he lived in the penthouse, so I walked out on the balcony, and he had a BB gun. And he's like, oh. and he, he's from DC he as well. Shot. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, go for it. Go, go stand outside on there. See how <laughs> see how long you last. And like, and we, it was funny because we got. I, I did go out on the balcony, and I was. You could see a decoy walked out. A guy who looked like Bill Clinton. I mean, I couldn't tell who it was, but there was like, like they sent decoys out into different cars and you couldn't tell which car he was in. Oh, wow. There's another thing too, that presidents can't go over bridges in cars. 
I, I heard something like that, that they have to fly. Really? I mean, I could be wrong. But that, it's that funny because I walked familiar. by Katz's that very day. I remember that. And like, you know what impressed me? I saw the whole motorcade. I saw the black like SUVs. At the very back, there was like a black Ford Econoline van. It looked like a normal van, except that it had all these little bulges like in little random areas around yeah they literally have them facing they have they have like snipers facing in every direction yeah but Mm -hmm. this was like i think this was like the tech van this was like the the communications It, it it was not like anything i'd ever seen like there were just these like random kind of bulges through it where there was some kind of there was they had some kind of gear inside that wouldn't fit in the van, so they had to like put these little. I just like I want to get in that van. That's what I wanted more than anything else. <laughs> man, I want to see, what they see got. see what's in there, man. They got a recording <laughs> studio. They're like jamming. <laughs> He's, there's a saxophone in the corner. Like every once in a while, Clinton wants to blow. Yeah, so we got to be ready with Pro Tools. Yeah. And, you know, it's all set. Dude, there's another van for the opposite. <laughs> I, I, I knew that that was coming. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> so you've been in a lot of bands. Yeah, who hasn't? <laughs> you know, uh, God, everyone in this room has been in a band. Everybody, God, well, look at you know, go 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 bar hopping in Williamsburg and Greenpoint, and go up to the bartender and go, "What do you do like besides this? Like, what do you think?" So you are <laughs> <laughs> in Long Island. I feel like we've had Skirty on, obviously, like we that hardcore scene. People still love it. Um, that, that's not what I wanted to say. No. I mean, that, it seems like it's been super influential. And in yeah, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome time, and it was like, you know, it's interesting that that I'm part of doing shows again, like a DIY. Well, sort of as DIY as you can be in New York City, um, legally. Uh, the it, it was it was cool. It was like one of those things where like we we went out of our way to sort of find spaces and book these bigger bands and do stuff that. You know, it kind of keep the tough guy hardcore thing out, which was very big at the time. It was like the end of the CB's matinees. And it was something that sort of really turned me off. Like, I had no interest in it at all. And, you know, I got into ABC No Rio and the peace punk thing. And, like, I was like, though, you know, that had its own uniform and its own crust punk retarded issues that, you know, I never understood people who did heroin and then called for a change in the world. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, but the music was a little bit better and I didn't feel threatened uh, that I was going to end up in the hospital at a show which you know is fine and all if that's what you want to do i just you know chose not to be there but um yeah and we wound up like finding these spaces on long island and doing these big shows and it became like a spot to come to and and it was super cool and the bands that developed out of that were very different like every band was different and popular and went on to influence the bands that later became really big like taking back sunday and brand new and glass jaw and uh what years was this um i guess mind over matter which was my first band started in 1990 uh and we our first record came out in 91 i remember i got my first record deal when i was i think i was 18 and ed from take Mac sunday was in that band um one of the many he got thrown out of on long island but um <laughs> he, uh, Eddie in here. I, love him. I went to cb's to meet with this record label this german record label we were in america and uh and we saw i saw quicksand nausea and a band called Drop Acid, which was Kevin Second's side project, which was a really weird band. And uh, and I, it was crazy. I was talking about this last night. I was like, yeah, that was the day that I got my first record deal. And it was killer. And it was, like, awesome. And I wound up, like, you know, joining another band that was on that label, toured Europe when I was 19. And when we went to Europe, like, me and my, my roommate at the time, Artie Philly, 
um, two artists living together. It was very strange. Um, uh, we came back and we saw the way they treated. It's a new sitcom, I think. Yeah, Thursdays. totally. It's awesome. <laughs> we came. We went to Europe and we saw the way they treated bands over there, and we were like, "This is the way to do it, man. Like you feed them, you know, like you just make it hospitable enough where they want to come back." And we did. We went, came back to Long Island. We kind of started doing that, and then they found the PWAC, which was this huge space that had a kitchen in it. And it was like, oh, cool, this is how we do it. And then every band that came to New York, they were literally bypassing New York City because there was no place to play and going straight to Long Island where there was a huge ton. You know, hardcore and punk is a very youth culture oriented thing. So you're going to have when you have kids in suburban areas, that's what they wind up doing. And it's it's kind of cool. And it's like all of that was done, obviously, pre-internet, pre-cell phone all that stuff. So it was like literally like my parents' home phone. You know, the people would call like, "Yeah, hey, man." So you're from Long Island, and you just got into putting up your own shows. Yeah, flat out, pretty much. Yeah, that's such a great way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's so funny when when I get emails now for St. Vitus, and people are like, "Why is it 21 and over?" And blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "If look, kid, <laughs> yeah. check it out. It's called New York State insurance laws. Okay, it has nothing to do with alcohol. It has to do with insurance, and." I've learned this, you know, over the years and I handle all that for St. Vitus. And it's like, if you really want to book shows that are all ages, go find a space, go call somebody, offer them some money and do it. That's it. You know what I mean? Like we, like we wound up at the PWAC getting Fugazi. That was like sort of the culmination of all these great things and, and really doing something that was, and all the, uh, all, almost all the profit, uh, all the profit went to the people with AIDS coalition, which is what the PWAC was. So it was all for profit. That's why eventually we got Fugazi and it was like, that was just the pinnacle of like, Oh my God, we just booked Fugazi. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, I was on the peripheral at that time cause I had moved to the city, but it was like incredible, you know? And it's like that stuff is, I think that like, you know, that stuff still can exist. There, there's a bit more of a nanny state now where it's a lot more difficult to, to sort of organize. And I think that adults are very suspicious of kids sort of congregating you know, like they, they always think that there's always a couple of bad apples. The kid is drinking in the parking lot, the kid who took drugs. But, you know, back then, like a lot of these kids were straight and it was something for them to do. And uh, people really couldn't wrap their head around it. So we would always lose venues. But eventually we got we got the PWAC and that was awesome. Just amazing. Which Justin was one of the leaseholders. And, you know, it was, it was a cool time and a lot of great bands came out of it. And that's the thing is a scene when you have a stable place scenes that's where scenes come out because it's consistent and kids know where to go and you know it doesn't it's really hard to happen in new york city really hard i mean we've been lucky at vitus that we've been able to do what we've done and we've really seen a scene revolve you know kind of come around it and, and it's it's awesome you know it's more of a metal scene but metal's what's happening now so made a comeback it's not a dirty word anymore <laughs> <laughs> metal's it so uh so in instruction i mean you got some video play was that a, was that a major label you had tom Capone yeah we were on geffen um mm-hmm. was that after airtype yeah it was the, it was literally i broke up airtype and got signed to geffen six months later with the same songs that airtype had been playing for the year before that we just changed our name okay. we changed our name and went to england and the right people saw us at the right time started getting on all these big tours did tours with uh well i mean a lot of the bands you wouldn't know but one band who became huge that we toured with at that time was biffy Clyro who are now just gigantic. And at the time when I toured with them, I came home screaming. They were on Beggar's Banquet. I was like, please release this band's record. They're so good. They wouldn't release it in America. And I was like, this, you have no idea. Every day we would sit there and watch them jam for two hours before soundcheck. And it was 
fucking unbelievable. They're like, great. Unbelievable. I've like, seen them. It's one of the they've weird changed things, a like, lot, uh, but yeah. they're they're like the British Foo Fighters now. But back then they were like a prog band and just fearless. And it was just, I mean, incredible. Like mind blowing. I was so like inspired and amazed. And like you know, two records later, then you know they're huge and selling out. You know, two nights at Wembley and all that stuff. And now they're they're I guess they're coming over with Muse. I wrote to them to try and get them to play Vitus. I was like, come on, dude. Because they played, they played <laughs> I saw Bowery the Bowery Electric. Electric. I saw yeah. that show a couple months ago. And I was like, really, guys? Bowery Electric, really? You can't come and play my bar? Come on. <laughs> so this has kind of been... So having your own bar with a venue, I mean, that, you've been gearing up towards this basically your whole life. It, it, it was the only thing left, really. I, did, I mean, what else am I going to do? I have no skill set at all. I think like a lot of um, dudes from the 90s who, who were tricked by the Nirvana craze... Um, into thinking that, you know, being a sort of average musician, that's my stomach, Jesus. <laughs> that's incredibly <laughs> that, uh, loud. Um, that uh, you, you, we were all sort of tricked into thinking that you could make a living because you could for a little while. And then the shit hit the fan and it's like, okay, what the hell do I do now? Like you never stop writing. You never stop playing music. I wrote for other people for a while, like right after instruction, because I was like, I still had like these big producers, like Bob Ezrin did the instruction record and, and uh Brian Virtue was the engineer. Like, they, these people who are now, like, you know, the big dudes. Like, my old A&R at Geffen would hire me to write with people. My old manager, Bill McGathy, would, you know. So it was like, I was doing all that, but, like, those situations kind of sucked. And it, But I was bartending the whole time. So I kind of was like, I got, when instruction got dropped, we got totally screwed by Geffen. And... I didn't make any pay or play, which is what you get when you get dropped before. There may uh, be actually an organization for that now. Bands screwed by Geffen. Oh, yeah, uh, well. Especially yeah. from the 90s. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Oh, believe me, I'm sure that maybe. Uh, maybe I should go online and start a, start a group we can get together. I don't even know if the label still exists. And, uh, and yeah, so it was like I kind of fell into bartending because, like, what do I do well? Well, I was a lead singer and I can drink a lot. Boom. <laughs> you know so so you know somewhat know your strength angsty charismatic and uh and you know and i yeah i could drink angsty like charismatic that's my business card <laughs> curmudgeonly charismatic <laughs> uh and i could do 25 shots of whiskey and still close the bar and not have any not have any problems in so, a row <laughs> over the course of you know a decent amount of time um i think my record was 12 uh i did 12 um uh, Irish car bombs in one shift. What killed then, Bonham? <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> no, last time I saw Stephen drink two beers, he oh, looked like he died. I've drunk, drunk with you before. Have you? Yeah, we were hanging out with oh, TBS and uh, and God help us, like freaking Ben Yellow Card at <laughs> Niagara one night. Like Eddie had called me, like, "Oh, come out!" So we came out, and you you were actually hanging out. I think you were pretty drunk. I must have been since I have no recollection of that. <laughs> it's okay. But you were probably living in these villages, so that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Wow. Oh, and Papa Roach was there too. Oh, it's a total freak show. Yeah. I remember this. It's really weird. Okay, now it's coming back. <laughs> wow. pa- did Papa Roach make it happen? Was it, if it was Niagara, was Brad DJing? Because that uh, might have been where I was. Because Brad had this fun thing of like, come DJ. <laughs> and I would stand there and you would go drink. Yeah. It's like, it was. I called it my Tom Sawyer. Or no, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, Tom, Tom Sawyer would be much better. Is he the guy that did the, 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 the whitewashing yeah, 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 yeah. I prefer great. a good Rush song over... Uh, <laughs> I'd invite people to... Over Mark Twain. And novel. I would get paid and yeah. I'd get to go drink. Yeah, I would, I'd be like, this is awesome. But you taught me the, the greatest thing about DJing is when someone asked you to play something, you say, yeah. Yeah, but you know who taught me that? Uh, it was Max. Max? Yeah. 
But then you don't play it. But I kind of would care. <laughs> Max really didn't care. Oh, yeah, I'll get to it, man. <laughs> I'll get to it. Cool. Like, I would kind of care. Anytime someone did that, I would just play a Misfits tune. Yeah, I've, like, learned that just in life in general. Sometimes it's better just Say to yes. be like, okay, and the person will never find out than, like, to, like, be like, no, and now I have to explain why and make a dialogue about this. You know why I stopped doing it at the bar? Why is that? Because... But I used to, when I worked at Mattress, I would always be like, I don't take requests, period. Like, I, don't, I'm, I have a very specific plan when I play music. I don't want you to be distracted by it. I want you to drink and enjoy your conversation. So you just play stuff that sort of sounds like what you want to hear, but it's not specifically what you want to hear. Don't play oh, the hits. So it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's like advertising. Wow. So, so a very specific thing. <laughs> this is, these are my, I, I, I got bartending down to a science. And uh, <laughs> I hate it with a passion. But the, so... When, like, what would happen is that people would come up, like, invite us, they come up and, like, we get these people from all over the world, and it's like, yes, I'm from Norway, please, why don't you play some black metal, why don't you play Dark Throne? And it's like, why, why the fuck do you want to hear Dark Throne in a bar? <laughs> like, I mean, like, alright, newer Dark Throne sounds better, but old Dark Throne sounds like shit. And it's like playing Guided by Voices at a bar. I love Guided by Voices, mm-hmm. but you can't listen to B-1000 at a bar. It sounds mm-hmm. terrible. You know what I mean? Like, you need low end, you need, a, it's fucking terrible. Yeah. So... And it's the greatest drinking music in the world if you're by yourself. So, <laughs> so like, this, uh, this has happened a couple times where, like, I'll listen. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll put on Dark Throne. And the guy doesn't even fucking know it's Dark Throne. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even know who they are. Well, he says he does because he's from Norway. Like, give me a fucking break, dude. Anyway. <laughs> you know why it's called B-1000? That, dude, that Do I know why it's called B-1000? Yeah. Do you know why? No, I don't. It's one of my favorite GBB facts. It's what it sounds like when you hold your tongue and you say Pete Townsend. <laughs> dude Pollard he's, he's so out there he's so out there you know speaking of international people at the bar I feel so bad because I'm spacing out his name but you were actually suggested as a guest when we started talking by this dude in Glasgow who oh Ian Ian yes yeah. Ian who emailed sent us a super nice letter about email about the podcast oh, right on. he's awesome uh, but yeah he was like you should have already on I was like it's so weird because I was like literally had just emailed you <laughs> yeah Ian's uh, Ian's been on the road with me a couple times He's like a dude who played in a band. We became friends, and and uh, and he he came out with Gay for Johnny Depp a couple times. And you know, my old band played a show with Gay for Johnny Depp that you probably wouldn't remember because it was so. No, long no ago. I'm sure I was blacked out before it I got on stage. Like this art gallery in Williamsburg in Bushwick or something. It, what it wasn't the Asheron, but it was like a name like that, and it was like it, Aaron Lefkove like got us on the show, and there was like. Some weird bar. I remember seeing you guys play. I was in Spend the Love Kill, but it was a really weird show. It, it was a Gift Johnny Depp show. Yes. Of course it was a weird yes. show. <laughs> nobody, nobody in, here in America, nobody really cared, but in England, they, they adored and loved us. Really? They got the joke. Yeah. yeah. Our, our records only came out over there, and we would go a couple times a year, and it was like, you know, I still to this day, we could probably draw like four or 500 people in London if we played. Really? You know, That's which amazing. is like, in this day and age, it's like fucking arena. You should do it. <laughs> I, I want to go back. It's you know how expensive it is. No, very. <laughs> Let's itemize it. I saw the T-shirt before I knew it was a band, and when I saw the shirt, I went, "I need that." That's we wanted. We we tried our best to like make it almost into a, a merch company a brand. But you know, again, like people in America, no dice. Overseas, they loved it. Over here, it's like gave for Johnny Depp. What the fuck is that? Because over there, you know? they all are. Well, yeah, exactly. You got an English accent. You're obviously gay. <laughs> I always loved, there was this one, who's talking about, oh, it was Brett Anderson from Suede or so, or no, somebody was talking about Suede and Suede's one of my favorite bands. 
ever. And like they were talking about it. Could you imagine Suede on like David Letterman and Brett Anderson is on doing his whole, you know, back in the day, like really first album style, like just totally flamboyantly animal heterosexually gay androgyny shit yeah and like some guy in the midwest watching david letterman going man who's this faggot (laughs) (laughs) like this is the reason why suede would never be popular in america period end of story they fell into that category where they tried to come over here and there was some band called suede yeah they became london suede London Suede, which is always the death knell yeah as soon as i thought i was like and they're out i was going to school in london when suede came out and it was this bowie-esque fervor of people you know tearing this guy's clothes off yeah it's because they were awesome yeah they're good. <laughs> so it's a great, great they were, band. i always say that they were the most punk rock band of the 90s because like they were doing stuff that like is so uncool mm-hmm. <laughs> like so uncool the second record dogman star was like had like these like five minute ballads like the uh, asphalt world's like 10 minutes long like just like why dude <laughs> And it's like it's one of my favorite records ever. It's tied with Hunky Dory, actually. So it kind of you know David Bowie suede thing, and it's just like why? It's like, I, I I remember Kerrang asked me to list like my favorite record of all time, and I said Dogman Star, and I gave said the reason why. I was like, well, I'd say Born Against, you know, Nine Patriotic Hymns, but I honestly feel like Suede was more punk rock than anybody because the whole point is to get a reaction and do something different, and they were doing something that was so out there, and they it, it was so good that you know. People overcame that whole. So you're hard to get a beat on musically because you got this. Uh, you could describe somebody as maybe you know a metal place. A lot of those bands play, but you're sitting there in a Depeche Mode shirt talking about suede, and you can name check Pollard songs probably backwards and forwards. I'm so. 40 years old, man. I've been into everything. You know, <laughs> I saw Oasis's first two shows in America. Oh wow. Um, yeah, like I, I kind of like I always say like I have a I have a master's degree in punk rock and metal. But I have a doctorate in Britpop and shoegaze. Like, ah, yeah. <laughs> shoegaze is like my, like, and prog rock, of course, which I, I don't even know. I, I'm, I'm a professor emeritus of, of, of prog rock, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That means you know everyone who's ever been in King Crimson. Uh, close to it, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't like discipline. I'm not a, not a fan of that, that era, that 80s thing. Um, I can but, honestly say that prog is just, it's out of my wheelhouse. It's fine, dude. Like, it's all good. It's, it's the, the the little bit I know uh, will we'll tie, tie it over. So how did you feel when Kanye West sampled King Crimson? Uh, I hate hip-hop. Oh, really? Yeah, across the board. Can't right. think of anything besides maybe Public Enemy, the typical white boy hip-hop, Public mm-hmm. Enemy, N.W.A., um, like that that stuff. I, so I, I always, think Kanye I like would it. fall into that. No, why? Oh, see, I, just, like, I just can't stand his... I don't. I, I don't relate. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't do anything for me, and I'm too old to put it in, put in the effort. So it's like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but the lyric I sent a girl an email was a picture of my dick is poetry. Dude, brilliant. I sometimes think when people Actually, say they, that they like hip hop, that they're just lying. I mean, like, I, 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 and and like that's just me because I feel I kind of feel similar. Like I like some of it, but I can't really relate. And I'm like, how, you can't listen to this all the time. But you like some of a lot of things. That's the point. It's like there's some country, but not a lot of country. There's some. You know, uh, like yeah, like like Steve Earle. Which yeah, I guess but isn't that country. just like you yeah. know? I mean, music is it's taste, it's personal, yeah. and yeah. it's like you know, I. But I do think there's a lot of like posturing in it, especially like maybe here. Like I feel like I want to like that's the called right lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle marketing. <laughs> that's yeah. true. And you know, there, there's a funny correlation that I've I've noticed over the years between hip hop and and metal, and that's this. 
Like you can't see this on a podcast. Oh, the bob in your head. The bob in the head. So like you, you watch Doom. You Doom did it bands, backwards though. And it, is it hip hop? Is this? Is it okay? You okay. Lean backwards. And then, and then metal. Metal's metal forward. Right. Okay. Yeah. And punk, you have to have your arms crossed. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to be one of those little shits who lights fireworks at a fucking show. Wow, you should be yeah. able to beat them to the to death. If they that's do. like a Cleveland thing. Is that it happens all the time. time. Yeah. yeah, really? Yep. Yeah, I would. I think that's I'd kill somebody. I, I, I swear to God, I'm. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't He's, talk about it on the air because I'll probably get swarms. I mean, I don't know if anyone. If you're if you're that crusty, you don't have a radio so, or in a computer, even though you're sure you have an iPhone and your mom's credit card. But you know, freshly sewn patches on your fucking jacket. <laughs> I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Uh, At least they're not doing heroin, I think, anymore. Are they, Krusty? Well, that's called Darwinism in that world. So, yeah, yeah, oh, thank you, my friend. <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to be the guy saying this stuff on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because like, I'm right there with it. I, yeah. Oh no, I, I remember. I remember for, for how many people when I lived in the East Village, I would see you know uh, on their phone with their you know need money for food yeah. sign, and they did have an ATM card in their in their back pocket. Yeah. Oh, I've heard so many. Like the, my friend of mine owns a liquor store. Williamsburg and like you know he's had many an experience with like people who were begging like crust punks back when they when they went before they got shooed out of the neighborhood they were like you know come in with all these singles like oh how much is a bottle of Evan Williamson I don't have enough walk away walk out come back in with like and put the credit put their credit card down <laughs> like really uh, okay Dude, I'll be honest like whatever you want to do whatever but the stuff with the dogs and all the animals and that, that kind of stuff me. I'm like dude come on like this- it's always going to exist and I know, it's like I know, you know I, like that- I hate I hate talking bad about it cuz you know you don't know everybody's circumstance and I tend to think that like that all these like when you get into sort of like this underground stuff and all this like there's some sort of weird abuse or something that's happened to you that you're looking to identify and all this other stuff. Not to be too serious since it's been a, an, a very unserious interview, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I try and have sympathy for it. But when you disrespect public property or, or private property or like, you know, you come into like a place like St. Vitus that, you know, I mean, granted, we feed people alcohol. So you're sort of fueling the fire for whatever craziness is about to let loose. And you have aggressive music playing, which makes it, you know, even more of a problem. But you're also in New York City, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as as liberal and cool as New York City is, the people who make the laws here are not. So, and if you own a small business, it's incredibly hard to keep it keep it going. They make it so difficult for small business. You want you guys want to get into Agenda Twenty One? UN Agenda Twenty One? No, conspiracy theory? No, I don't know that one. Just rolling people into urban areas skyscrapers and then having like a retail center underneath strip mall style but the only they make the rent so high that the only people that can that can own them are like Dwayne reeds and right aids and what's well, like walmart syndrome yeah like walmart has been notorious for decades upon decades of going into a small town and undercutting every small business and then when those small businesses get run out of business they raise their prices back right well specifically I mean, pharmacists but we're we're immune to it sort of in new york Mm -hmm. and until like you know i guess it was a bloomberg or giuliani who allowed you never saw never ever would you ever see a chain restaurant in new york yeah in any of the boroughs and then all of a sudden you know oh my god i should have eaten some (laughs) um it's a very metal sounding stomach growl yeah (laughs) it's like one of those suck in things (laughs) um and now, like, you know, you go to Times Square and that's all you see. And it's like for an Olive Garden to be in Times Square is really strange. But anyway, I, I digress. I don't want to I don't want to go too no, far. You are a small business owner in a metropolitan area. Yeah, It's not it's they make it very, very difficult 
through various things. And Bloomberg has made the, he changed a lot of laws to make a, to give the sort of like the residents in the neighborhoods a lot more power because I think the Lower East Side was a good example of what, you know, when things start clashing, you know, it's like all these bars roll in and then it's loud outside and the people who pay exorbitant amounts of money to live down there to be in that hate it. Right. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's same thing goes with like Greenpoint and Williamsburg. It's like, I'm sorry, but you're moving to literally the hip, the hippest neighborhoods in the world. And like, what did you expect? If you wanted to be quiet, move to Bay Ridge. Barely even. You'll move to Long Island or move to Westchester or move to Northern Jersey. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, you know? And it's like, and I almost feel like they create these laws so that they can fine you and then they can make money off of it. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. So, so, so you as a, as a small business owner now with a bar that has bands, I mean, do you have to have a curfew with the bands? you have to know when they have to stop playing? Uh, no, you have to spend an insane amount of money soundproofing. And, and you know, eventually, like, we, you know, we, we had a lot of problems in the first year. And then things kind of leveled off. You know, we, we ma- basically we made enough money to or we had a, actually we had a couple of film shoots that paid for it um to soundproof and soundproof like for real like serious soundproofing it, it is it's incredibly expensive and it's very specialized like you literally can't put a pinprick of a hole in a wall anymore <clears throat> or else it ruins everything i want to watch you and brad talk about soundproofing <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's it's like water it's like waterproofing that's the like he's right like you actually it needs to be airtight that's the first that's the first like and everything has to be isolated and not on any walls it's a whole thing it's very boring i don't want it's almost impossible to do in a neoprene becomes your best friend in a club like it's almost impossible to do i used to say like when people like as you know i have a lot of friends who are bartenders i mean bar owners but i used to say you the, the best way to soundproof a bar is free drinks for all the neighbors (laughs) <laughs> and you know and i tried that yeah. what? <laughs> and of course i get the guy who doesn't drink right <laughs> and is like yelling at me he's like well i don't i was like come on down let's hang out the band will be done in 15 minutes i don't drink oh, well there goes that yeah, you're screwed. okay do you have a grill <laughs> yeah. like buns <laughs> yeah you like buns exactly i guess some rice buns if you want you well you don't drink but you know what this girl this girl over here does and she's had a lot tonight <laughs> would you like to meet her <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say why, but I don't think that's going to work either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With, with this particular fella, I got you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then it's then it's your. I get job. the impression it was hard. To, it's, it wasn't too hard to tell, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, um, you might have to step up to the plate. Take yeah. one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> is that a is that, a, is that a Danzig tattoo? Is it a what on your on your arm right there? That one. This is yeah. no. no this is yeah. a this is a Black Sabbath Dio era. Oh god, okay. Sorry. I have, I have yes and Black Sabbath on my forearms. Sort yes, of cover my cover my bases. Wow. Yeah. It's you, nerd central. You are a Prague fan. Yeah, it's nerd central over here. I've had one person in my entire life who's even known what this was, what except for it? at a Yes show, of course, where everybody knows what it is. John Anderson. When I met John Anderson. I met him a couple times. He, I was backstage at an after party at Madison Square Garden, and uh, and he's like, he sees my tattoo, and he's like, and I was waiting to get an autograph, and he's like, Elias is on Hello, the tattoo, and I was like, 
I was like, John, have you ever seen anybody else with this? He's like, you had to. He's like, I've never seen anybody. I was like, no way. That's so cool. How can I be the only person? And he he autographed it. And he's just like, are you good? Are you gonna get get that tattooed on there? I was like, no, nah, it'll ruin it. It's a nice picture. It's like, but I'll take a picture with you and it. It's cool. It sounds like Mrs. Doubtfire kind of. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. He, the way he sings is the way he so- sounds when he speaks. <laughs> Stuff like that. Just (laughs) stuff like that. Did you you go to a lot of Anderson, Bruford, Wigman, and House shows? I did. I saw them twice. I saw them at the beach, and I saw them at uh, Madison Square Garden. How about Union when they all got together? I saw Union. That's all. Which this was actually this was actually above the crowd. Like they had a big thing of this in the back. That's it for me in Prague. I don't even know how you get get into it. It it has to start at an early age. Yeah, it did. I had older sisters who. I think Rush is as far as I go. And there's nothing wrong with that, my friend. Ah. Can you do you get into any of these like punk prog like Coheed or Circus Survive or any of that stuff? Do you relate it to prog? absolutely no, no? Um, I played with Circus Survive uh, recently with Take a Mike Sunday in uh, in Rhode Island, and uh, yeah, that dude's voice is really high. Yeah, I mean, like, but not in like That's- so is Coheed's. Yeah, I, right. But like, it not in like the Getty way. I mean, maybe maybe if I was if I was sixteen. It would be awesome gateway style, but I'm too old and I just, yeah, like I'm just kind of like, eh. well, you know, and I see these kids and like, I don't think they really understand what's going on, but you know, I don't, I don't want to underestimate anybody. Is it know? hard for you to get into newer bands as you get older? Well, of course. Yeah. Because your brain chemistry works differently. So as a teenager, you know, like things are developing and like you have these 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 chemicals that react to a certain sound and then later on it becomes nostalgia when those same chemicals come out and it's like that sort of changes obviously i'm overexposed to music so that is part of it but you know like i I feel like that's why it's harder for people to get that same reaction because the your brain chemistry has changed so you're not getting the same endorphin rush and all of that from you know what what you're hearing it happens on occasion i mean we we started a record label through the bar and uh and you know it's been going really well and so like i've i've sort of had to like put my biases aside from my old age and be like you know like what do i really get out of this you know like what and and it's it's worked pretty well i mean there are bands that play the bar that i'm just like oh my god this is amazing so cool it actually happens quite often considering i see so many but then everything else just sounds really generic to me you know, it's like, oh, look, retro thrash. Oh, my God, I haven't heard this a thousand times in 1989. <laughs> you know, oh, a doom band. Oh, my God. So they're just playing a Black Sabbath riff, down-tuned, great. Oh, listen, it's a, they're, they're supposedly Southern style, so it's just a down or a Pantera riff. You know, it's like, but it's not to say that it's bad, and it's cool that it's back because, like, you know, it gets younger people into it, so... Whatever. But, you, but you really want younger people to get into something new. What, but what is there new? You know, like, That's I mean, we're, we're all, you know, I think we're all music fans here and, and, you know, waiting for that next thing to be new. I think it's like, you know, people always said it was going to be electronic. It's techno. It's this, it's that. And like no way that's going to work in my world. I'm way too right. old for that. You know, like that's another youth culture thing. And it's very drug oriented, which I'm not a drug person at all. So I don't know. Did you got When you were in band, like said, you signed to a label at 19 and then you were back and forth did you go to school at all did you like uh yeah i went to college for um three and a half years and then i dropped out because i was going on tour in europe and i wanted to go <laughs> and then i went back to school and uh that was actually um when i broke up my band Mind Over matter in 1995 i started a band with walter from quicksand he broke up quicksand i broke up my band we started a band called world's fastest car which um which 
put out never put out anything but world's slowest car <laughs> we were but uh we demoed about 100 songs like no joke some of them had surfaced um some of them a lot of them wound up on the rival school's first record um and i literally was like halfway through the semester walter asked me to play in his band he's a singer of my favorite band at the time and like you know really big deal for me and uh and i just immediately quit school <laughs> i was like because he was like he, he wanted to go toward japan like really quickly and we wound up it wound up not happening till the summer but uh but I was just like, oh, that's it. This is it. He was signed to Island Def Jam. It was 1995. It was like, you know, this is going to happen. This is going to be great. And, you know, wasn't that simple as I learned in the uh, major label system to get stuff released and have, you know, it was my first experience with that. How'd you meet Walter? Uh, I knew Walter just from playing. I opened for Quicksand a bunch. I was a big Quicksand fan and uh, wound up opening for them a bunch of times. And then, yeah, I was it was kind of i don't really we just became friends like i'd be on tour and warp tour would be around and i'd go see quicksand play and walter was always really cool like oh you want to come sit on the side of the stage or like no way dude front front and center like i love uh, quicksand was incredible back then just like magical and uh you know he like i remember this one time in florida he brought me backstage and got me food from the catering at, at warp tour which was really nice because i was like on some shitty hardcore tour and uh yeah i was uh He's an awesome guy and like amazing songwriter, prolific as hell, and we think really super cool. And we then after World's Fastest Car, I started a band called Aerotype Eleven, which was signed to Walter's label. Walter and Sammy started a label. Some right? Yeah, and and we put out two records on some. So like uh, my relationship kind of continued, and and then obviously Aerotype broke up, Instruction started, um, whatever. But yeah. It's, like Walter and I have like a long history of friendship. He's he's a good dude. He's is a real Quick, deal. Has Quicksand played St. Vitus yet? No, they were supposed to like four times and it never <laughs> happened. So when did Primitive Sergio's Weapons in the Deftones? Why the hell does he want to play freaking St. Vitus? Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Primitive Weapons. When did that kind of come about? Primitive Weapons came about when uh, I was in a band called Godfire's Man. I I, I was very frustrated with uh, with playing sort of like alt rock stuff like i i felt like i just felt like the that maybe my voice just wasn't gonna sell any records or but you know i had like big management with that band all that stuff and it's just like they wanted us to do the whole shine down midwest radio thing and i really 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 hate that i hate that more than jazz i think um red state rock yeah it's just so freaking generic it's unbelievable i, I interviewed shine down a couple times Man, they're the nicest dudes. Wrote, oh yeah, they're I super wrote nice. An e-book just, on Shine Down that you can get from iTunes. And, really? Yeah, and for Atlantic, and yeah, they are the nicest. They're so dudes nice. Ever. Then I hear, and I've seen them play a number of times. That I've talked to them, it's like there's something that's not letting me get into. But this. they have to exist. That's yeah. the whole thing. So yeah. it's fine yeah. and good. You know, people. Yeah, and there's there's fans who want that and need that. That's right, great. and that, that style of music pro- keeps terrestrial radio in business, and that's cool. And yeah. everybody feeds off of it, yeah. and whatever's left is great. And um, it's great that they're not jerks. They're jerks would be easy, but they're just so cool. Yeah, I'm sure Nickelback are jerks. No, they're really nice, actually. Oh, are they really? Yeah, I interviewed them. That Chad guy just seems like a jerk. He's 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 just a businessman, and he that's knows obvious. how to. And he knows how to write the songs. Maybe, maybe we should all pick up on that businessman thing. Um, and the fact is, they're like they're like a, a, a multi million dollar indie band. You know? Oh it's yeah, like no, I know. I know. Roadrunner, it's sort of. Come yeah. on, Roadrunner was. Uh, come yeah. on. But they're they're super nice. Most everybody's cool that I've ever talked to. Most everybody's just nice and genuine. They got very few get fast tracked. They come up the same way. P.S. Nicest band in the world, Papa Roach. Okay. Really? Oh, the greatest. The greatest. Absolutely amazing. 
Amazing. Really? Jacoby yeah. is so cool. The One of my favorite band bands I've cool. ever toured with. So cool. And I've, I, the stuff I saw, I won't get into it, but oh my God. Unbelievable. Those, those guys live it. <laughs> it's fun stuff. Get into it. Yeah. <laughs> get into it. No. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's children and stuff involved. I, I can't, you know. I mean, not like in a sexual way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh boy! But yeah, so I got I, I got frustrated <laughs> with that whole thing. And, and, um, <laughs> no, no way, man. No way. Um, if only dude. It's illegal, dude. Um, but yeah, so uh, my Dave, who's uh, our events director at Vitus, is when I was, this is way before any of that started. He approached me and he was just like, "I want to do a band with you and this guy Chris Enriquez, who was in a band called On the Mind of Princes on Long Island. He's an amazing drummer." And I was just like, "All right, dude." I was like, "As long as I don't have to sing." I still had gave for Johnny Depp. That was like in full swing in overseas. And, um, and I was like, sure, man. I just like, I don't want to sing. I'm so sick of singing. So that was kind of where primitive weapons came from. And yeah, we got signed up prosthetic really quickly. And, and, uh, and now we're not with prosthetic anymore, but luckily we have our own record label. So we just do it ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Like, uh, I'm, I'm always happy. Like when we draw really well here in New York and, you know, we try and tour, but it's kind of hard. I mean, I think it's hard for everybody now. It's so hard. Yeah, Again, man, do, the, do yeah. the Bob Pollard tour the way he always did GBV. He would tour for three weeks and then go home. He hated <laughs> being away from Dayton, Ohio. I think that's the best... Like, Gotta go to Hoagie's Pizza. ...tour model ever. You know, do your routing for a couple weeks, come back. If you have the power to do that and actually make money, yeah, it's great. But like that, that's the thing is that there's with the money involved in touring is so expensive, and that's why like labels don't support rock bands anymore because it's like mm. the amount of money that it takes to support a rock band to get to the point where they're actually making a profit is it's almost impossible. So you know, it's like that's why you have eighteen year old you know like record labels should just sign eighteen year olds, buy them a van, and go go for it, kids. You know. So in five years you'll be great right now you kind of suck but we see the potential but that's also why you get crap like black veil brides and you know like uh what the fuck asking alexandria oh my god attack attack all right now let's talk about the worst music in the world oh man like let's do it it's the ipod <laughs> shuffle generation it's what it is it's, it's like, like i don't know what the fuck i'm listening song. to i don't know what genre this is yeah. i'm just gonna fucking throw it all together in one song and crabcore like what what seriously <laughs> we've had a few crab bands play at the bar and it's like i'm just looking like what the fuck are you what could you possibly like first of all you're choreographing which is the lamest thing in the world and then secondly <laughs> like like seriously it's what you fucking like warren tracks did. for some reason like, but like, dude but like i mean like that attack attack song the really popular one uh shipley shapely whatever the fuck it is oh my god like what the fuck it's like and all those songs have the dumb dub dubstep fucking breakdown which like takes <laughs> zero talent it's just like hey i bought look at this crappy line six fucking amp i just bought at fucking guitar center that that goes to like you know and my guitar can tune to like a, like has 19 strings on it and it can go like, <laughs> like what the fuck there's no songwriting there's no genre and like this like i remember i was at south by last year and, and justin and i were walking around looking for something or other probably a free open bar and like and we mistakenly walked into this show through a back door and it was asking alexandria on stage and i was like and the band was fucking terrible the singer thought he was in motley crew I don't know what the fuck was going on. It was like, it was seriously a fucking train wreck. And people probably loved it. No, it was all 14-year-old girls. So they're onto something. Right. 
It was like being at a bouncing soul show in 1992. It was like, seriously, it's like, wow, girls like this music? Who the fuck knew? And like, I, I, I was blown away. I couldn't believe, and there are all these girls are like doing, they're doing the hip hop dance, but, but techno uh, fist, fist bump thing. Shit. I'm like, I was completely blown away. And literally at that moment, I went, I am fucking old. And I'm completely out of touch with this shit. But it's shit, and that's the point. And like, I just want i want there to be a rule, and I want everybody to... It, 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 I, I should have had more coffee, so this would be a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, seriously, I just it should be school curriculum that everybody has to listen to the Beatles for a certain amount of time in their life when they're young so that they get an idea, a sense of songwriting and melody and harmony. Because what these bands do now, like, this is, a, this is the result of a Beatles society. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you get the basics down first. Paul McCartney and John Lennon invented modern music. Between the Beatles and Pink Floyd, you have every single genre of music invented by 1972. Technology just changed. That's all. So, so I mean, seriously, I think that's what should happen. It should be mandatory so that kids can grow up with a sense of what a song is and not this mishmash of bullshit. Because, I'm sorry, like, I, like the dubstep drop, like, I granted, it's dance music, so who gives a shit? It's, it's really a non- who gives a fuck? It just gets absorbed into the mainstream. It's not really real. And everybody will regret liking it in five years. But the, like, fucking, like, this, this fucking asking Alexandria, attack, attack, whatever the fuck. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, design the skyline. Have you seen that train wreck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Is- it's I all would the, never it's, know by that it's band like these name. Filipino kids with this like swoopy hair, and it's all like, and they oh, why do they all have their m- mics, their microphones wrapped in like neon pink, and like like and they got like stripes in their hair, and like and it's like, and then it sounds like Dillinger Escape Plan for like twenty seconds, and then they do the doom doom doom, and it's like oh my god, you, seriously, I would, is this is this video? Would be good. <laughs> I think everybody should go that first design the sky. We, this is what I used to do on Mondays when I worked Mondays with this guy, John, uh, my bun guy. We would like try and out shit each other with fucking crappy. What, what is it called? What do you call that genre? I don't know. I think I think I've now reached a point where I'm like, cool. I'm out of touch. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I have to disagree with your mandatory Beatles thing, and here's here's why. Oh my god, this because is going to be a have... really big argument. No, no, trust me, because I I when I when I got. Into the Beatles, I was like, I want UK releases only, and I've got the mono box set. Mon- it was stereo. all mixed for mono. That's the way it should be heard. That's what I have. I have the mono. Yeah. You know, and it's it's well, it's mono. What? No, I have mono right now. <laughs> um, I was kissing a fish before I came in. Um, it's all mixed from mono up to um, the last two records. Yeah, mono. the last two. Sergeant Pepper's, I think, was the last one mm-hmm. that they did for mono. Yeah. So it, and it sounds wonderful. You mono. read here, there, and everywhere. No, Jeff I, book? no, I've read uh, the Bob Spitz, the Beatles, book, uh-huh. which is a great one. Um, I think you need to grow up and listen to crap and then discover it because then you know, it's like it's like when you get to college and go, oh, who's right. this I'm Tom having Waits a waiting guy? for government moment right now. What? So so you get you, you grow up with crap, mm-hmm. but and then you discover. But when do you discover it? <laughs> you know, it's like it's that but whole Zen. It. It's that whole baby in the tire Zen thing. So you learn you, know? you forget. But when, it, but they but when do they learn it? it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you talking loud? Yeah, I'm, I'm, now I'm, you're talking I'm, to. Can I'm, you just talk in a normal voice? We're, we're recording now from um, Benali, or excuse me, Nabali. That's where it is. Well, you Nabali, know, you know, a place far, far, yeah. far away. It's always sixty-seven degrees. Reminds me of like when I was at AP. I started there in O two, and it was oh god, like, help us! Yeah. It was like coal chamber cover, and the one that really changed it was the dashboard cover. We did this dashboard confessional cover, and it sold really well. And they were so then it was like it was like. 
Good Charlotte, then Disturbed. It was like this switching off till it transitioned. And then uh, all all that new metal stuff like wasn't popular anymore, but it, there were so many bands still doing that. Like It takes so long for a genre, even a flash-in-the-pan genre, to kind of die out. Like I felt like it was five years later and we're still getting all these new metal CDs. I was like, how are people still doing this? I feel like it's the same with this whatever and it still swoopy hair thing. Yeah, like it's like I feel like a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, this is kind of played out, and it just like seems like it takes so long for the momentum to end. I think it's like I, any I other kind Europe. of genres because there's always going to be <laughs> Ramon style punk bands. You know, there are always going to be bands that oh, that, that follow that. You know, yeah, but I feel like that has like a timeless quality to it, where this is so of a moment. Does it really? All right, but here's right, the- admission time. I hate the Ramones. Oh wow. Podcast over. <laughs> no, not no. only that, I'm erasing the whole thing. <laughs> this is going to be like the world's think, fastest car I think podcast. I'm kidding. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no one's going to Remember, I have the power to edit. sell it on eBay. <laughs> I heard it was great. No one's heard it. We're changing this to you saying you love the Ramones. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Uh, <laughs> Mandatory first, Ramones listening. Well, the first four records. I, it just never did anything for me. And that's okay. Yeah. Is it, it? it is. A, yeah, it is. It's okay. like, I don't like Dylan either. It's really hard for, like, I, 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 I struggle with this. Yeah. From a muso point of view, I should really be like, this should, this is, this should be part of the curriculum, mm-hmm. but it's just like, it never, it never did anything for me. And I think it's because I was so into prog rock as a kid that, that the Ramones were like, this is dumb. And it took me a long time to sort of appreciate, but it's, it's, I don't see the Ramones as being timeless personally. Um, and neither with Dylan either. I think Dylan is a very timeful sound, but you know, as I get older, you know, like things that I didn't like as a kid make more sense to me. So in, in a context, I appreciate the Ramones and I get what they did changing things, but am I going to listen to a Ramones record? now? it's not, I never right. will. Well, they were well, a reaction to prog rock. So I, if you're uh, a big prog rock fan, that's probably why they didn't. Well, yeah, but resonate. I didn't, I didn't mind that. And I, I think, I think even down to people like Phil Collins, oh, like, and even Robert Fripp, they all appreciated the idea of punk rock because they realized that things had gotten bloated and that they needed, like, they needed a kick in the ass. Right. And, or music did. But what punk rock did is it, it, is it gave people with uh, a very average to even not so great musical ability the chance to play an instrument and voice themselves. And then, of course, it all got ruined because voicing yourself really became pointless. Well, I mean, uh, you can <laughs> say the same thing for Velvet Underground. You know, you don't have to really be able to play. You know that that also opened the door. Yeah, but Lou Reed wrote great songs. He did write great songs. Yeah, I mean, and and the Velvet Underground was so far ahead of their time. It's yeah. it crazy. Like it literally skips thirty years before you get, you know, pavement. You know, or like mm-hmm. you know the other things that were being influenced by by Velvet Underground. Pavement you know? are guided by voices. Oh, well, GBV is influenced by everything. Mm-hmm. You know, including prog rock. Yeah, yeah, big time. Mostly well, the Who, though. He does. He does. He does a Roger Daltrey very well. Yeah, yeah. That's his whole shtick, and he does it on purpose. That's why I love it. Like, yeah, I'm singing in English accent. That's what I do. <laughs> Rob Pollard, love him. But I think. Yeah, I mean, I think anything with any kind of artistic weight, like, shouldn't appeal to everyone. Like, if you're trying to appeal to everyone, then. But Brad it's... and I are going to judge you about that Ramones comment forever. So. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I didn't like the Sex Pistols honestly until, for some reason, I read uh, "No Irish, No Dogs, No No Blacks," the Johnny Rotten. Uh, autobiography mm-hmm. and it was like like totally changed my view of like of the sex pistols because i i didn't like the sex pistols because i hated like their fans i just thought it was like such a generic uniform thing and, and then i read that that book and then saw filth and fury which you know it was yeah. like 
he he talks about how he hated the uniform and how like you know once it became a uniform it was no longer a rebellion and like and and like that like i think the thing that turned me the most on of the sex pistols was getting into pil because pil like that guy could have done anything at that time and he did pil right and it's like those records are incredible. Second edition, Metalbox, unbelievably freaking weird records. Hated those records. Hated them so much. Great records. Yeah. Amazing. And like like so I you know, I one day maybe I'll have a moment with the Ramones that'll that'll do something. I mean, you know, it comes on. You, you probably can't, won't because there's I mean, it's very specific. It, it's, it's, it's very specific, it's very of a time. It's very much like hardcore, dude. It's mm-hmm. like you either you like it or you don't. It's and just a sped up pop like music. It. Yeah, it's it's like, almost like fifties songs. It's like by their own admission. Yeah, you, if like if you got in the remote, like knowing your taste, I would probably say you know listen to Too Tough to Die before you listen to the first one. You know, like go, like go into when right. they're you know when they when they could figure out how to play and their yeah. musicianship was more solid and they got you know their best drummer that was Richie. You know what I but mean? I do, but the thing the about it is that I do feel like the musicianship exactly. <laughs> the musicianship was solid and it was unprecedented at the mm-hmm. time. No one played like that. You know, maybe the Stooges a little bit, but all like, downstroke. Yeah, like just like like they were inventing like a style mm-hmm. of guitar mm-hmm. that like has been copied over and over and over again. But you know, maybe done better you know, over time. I don't know. Like, but that, then the innocence is lost. So it's a whole different story, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, you know, don't beat me up for it, oh, but you know. I'll just edit your podcast. <laughs> how, do you feel, how do you feel about bad brains? <laughs> I love bad brains. Yeah. I saw bad brains on the quickness tour. It's freaking yeah. awesome. Oh, that's so such good. a great record. So great. Even with all the homophobic shit, just kind of like bruised by that. <laughs> Sorry. Right. The Rastas, it happens. Yeah. yeah. That's a weird, a weird tenant that goes in there for that. So you're just, uh, you're like, you know what? I can see why you and Skirty like have that bar together because you're both. It's it's you're hard to pin down on what you do, but your music, your your like like your your music source is very valid. Like what you listen to, what you like, what you don't like. I'm a, I'm a you're, fan. I mean, yeah. you know, like the the metal part of Vitus is very much my teenage years. You know, and like that's uh, and I, I you know I can. That's why a lot of times you come in there, you're going to hear a lot of older Merciful Fate and, and King Diamond and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I went from metal to hardcore in my late teens, you know, because I picked up an instrument and honestly, I'm not a good enough guitar player to play metal. So hardcore made sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I just tried to write Voivod songs in a hardcore context. And that's pretty much what came out with a lot of the early stuff that I did. Um, but yeah, it's like, a, I just, it's just being a music fan. You know, and it usually it kind of leans towards the dark side. You know, that's why I always say it's like, ah, oh, it's dark. You know, I like ethereal goth, like anybody. You know, it's all the girls that wouldn't have sex with me in high school. <laughs> now they can come to your bar. That's what it's all. Yeah, about. now they can come to my bar, and I <laughs> still don't have sex with them. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Artie Shepard. Artie Shepard. If you have not been to his bar, St. Vitus, in Greenpoint, you should go. I'll probably be there because it's very close to my apartment. (laughs) And I don't like the sun. So (laughs) it's super dark in there. Everything's painted black. It's dark because it's all about metal. Yeah, it's, it's all about metal. And, uh, it's one of those bars where when they do turn the lights on, you're like, oh, God, oh, please turn the lights back off. I saw a really good show there recently. Hmm? Um, Fake Problems and the Menzingers. Oh, my God. That's a and both d- bands were great. I love both those bands. And I got to hang out with former Going Off Track guest, Laura Stevenson, who did a song with Fake Problems. Really? She did an interpretive dance to one of their songs, because I guess they toured together and had this whole thing worked out. But it was um, super impressive. Uh, both those bands are incredible. Uh, Menzinger's records just 
keep getting better and better and fake problems are just awesome yeah you know what? i hadn't seen fake problems in a while and i was i've always liked them and the love police to tour with them but i was blown away by especially their new stuff it sounded so good they're so tight and chris is such a great front man and he's really awesome all the derek all those dudes are awesome so i was really really impressed you guys should check out all their records and you should check us out go to our facebook page facebook.com slash going off track you want to send us a lovely email or message or just go hey i like these dudes uh leave us a review on the itunes if you so are inclined and if you go to goingofftrack.com, there's a little button called donate you can donate it to us because as with many podcasts Breaking even is the goal, and we are nowhere near that. And if you enjoy what you're hearing and want to want it to continue, hit donate and send us some dough. We would really like that because um, we like doing it. We hope you like listening to it. Or if you just want to be a passive listener and enjoy what you're liking, do that because that's how I am with most every podcast I listen to. Yeah, I'm like, I should leave a review, and then I don't. And Sometimes like, I do. Kissing contest I do because I love that podcast. I should donate to Dana, the Dana Gould Hour because it is my favorite podcast ever. And I want them. I want it to be weekly so bad, but it's so good. Yeah? How often is it? Uh, whenever he wants to do it. Gotcha. It's really, really... He's like, sorry, it's been a few months. And you're like, ah, but it just makes you want it so much more. He's so good. I would love to have him in here. He'd be a dream. A literal dream. We'll see you guys next week and... I always say C. It's like writing, you hear that in an email. You don't hear Wait, anything. Let's talk about how having him here would be a literal dream. You yeah. would just go into like a dream state if you saw him. Yeah, I would, I would be completely lucid and I'd probably start <laughs> making out with him. Dana, Dana, do you remember when we auditioned for that pilot together and my role went to Bobcat Goldthwait? Mm, true story. We'll talk about it.